impressed and pleased with the opening prayer because <clears throat> I think that we uh, we truly are in that dark period of of the the season or the year uh, between the two feasts. It is a time when we are being tried and tested, and when we are uh, going to uh, face many trials, problems, and uh, perhaps temptations, and uh, we we have to maintain our focus. It's very important for that reason that we all uh, are very careful and attentive to um, fellowship and to meeting on regularly on every Sabbath day because it is crucial to our spiritual strength and our health. Also, <clears throat> something was said about uh, my uh, children and uh, grandchildren. Uh, you know, I, I truly believe in Psalm 127, uh, verse 3 on, on through. Uh, children are the gift of God and sons a blessing he commands. And uh, I am very pleased with... Uh, now, my 17 grandchildren, we just had a new grandson last Sunday. He weighed 10 pounds, 6 ounces. He was born Sunday evening about 5 o'clock. And um, they named him Nolan James. Now, I don't know where they got that kind of a name. It does not sound like a, a name, a, a Scottish name. Well, maybe it is Scottish. I don't know. But uh, <clears throat> I'll have to talk to them about that. Perhaps they know something I don't. Um, mother's doing fine, and uh, the grandmother is here with me today, and I would like to honor her, uh, and uh, I'd like all of you to realize that she is just as blessed as I am, and uh, that uh, I take the, uh, uh, the, the scripture in Psalm 127 to mean that mothers and grandmothers are also blessed by God with these uh, wonderful blessings. Um, <clears throat> we all are looking back, I guess, at this time to the Feast of Tabernacles and the messages that uh, we heard. Uh, the emphasis this year, I think, was very, very much uh, spiritually oriented and directed toward the keeping of the Feast of Tabernacles, the meaning of the Feast of Tabernacles, specifically and particularly to um, the coming kingdom of, of heaven, the kingdom of God. Jesus Christ, when he came to earth, came to proclaim the gospel of the kingdom of God. And as Mr. Armstrong mentioned in an article that he wrote and was published about 19, in the early 1960s, that within 40 years of the death of Jesus Christ, there was uh, confusion introduced into the church, uh, into the church is, concerning just what is the kingdom of God. It was apparently one of the early heresies that was introduced. When Jesus was preaching the gospel of the kingdom, he also commissioned his disciples to proclaim the gospel of the kingdom. He sent out the 70 to uh, preach the gospel of the kingdom of heaven, as Matthew terms it, the kingdom of God, as it is in the other gospels. Later, Jesus commissioned his apostles to preach the gospel of the kingdom of God, 
the kingdom of heaven, according to Matthew, the kingdom of God, according to uh, John and uh, Mark, John and to Luke. There's been an awful lot of confusion about the gospel of the kingdom of God <clears throat> down through the ages. Within the apostolic church, Satan introduced conflicting gospels, and we have proof of that or evidence of that by a number of uh, spurious gospels that even today some are still extant. And we'll read a scripture concerning that a little later on. Uh, many spurious gospels were written and circulated that purported to be uh, written by disciples of Christ, some or many. Uh, so as a result of those many, uh, attention and rebuttal had to be uh, given by a servant of God. In this case, Luke, the beloved physician. So let's turn to Luke chapter 1, verse 1. <clears throat> Luke chapter 1, verse 1. And let's, uh, let's understand as a background to the gospel of the kingdom of God. And today I, I expect I will only give you the uh, preliminaries and the background to the, the subject. But uh, it is a major doctrine of the church of God. It is a fundamental doctrine of the church of God. Uh, I've been asked repeatedly on my travels this year uh, by members scattered abroad, international areas as well as in the U.S., if we intend to publish an article or booklet on the subject of just what is the kingdom of God. So I think there's a, a need there, and I think there is a, uh, a sincere interest on the part of many of our brethren to understand the, uh, the history and the development and the background of the gospel of the kingdom of God. In Luke chapter 1, verse 1, Luke wrote, Inasmuch as many have taken in hand to set in order a narrative of those things which are most surely believed among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also having had perfect understanding of all the things from the very first, to write to you an orderly account, most excellent Theophilus, that you may know the certainty of those things in which you were instructed. Verse 5, Luke chapter 1, verse 5. There was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias, and then he proceeded to to uh, give us the, uh, uh, the background of the birth of Jesus Christ, or first of John the Baptist and then of Jesus Christ. And so Luke then <clears throat> tells us that, uh, that uh, there were many who had, uh, who had made an effort to, uh, to write about these things and because of that, he felt and was, uh, it, uh, was sure that it was necessary to set the record straight. You know, Jesus himself, when he came, predicted there would be false teachers who would come in, uh, into the church even, in Matthew chapter 7, verse 15. In Matthew chapter 7 and verse 15, Jesus, after speaking uh, concerning 
the uh, a number of teachings, but specifically about the straightness or the the the, the sharply defined path which would lead to the kingdom of heaven. In verse 15 said, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. So Jesus understood that there would be individuals who would have as their purpose and their motive to take advantage of and to... Um, and to um, uh, capitalize on the members of the, the body of Christ, the church, those who are believers, and to uh, make merchandise of them. Jesus understood that, prophesied it in Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24, verse 11. Again, <clears throat> Jesus Christ uh, warned about uh, this uh, trend and, and about this, this uh, action. In the end time, he has been speaking of the things that would occur and down to the point of uh, the tribulation and you're being hated by all nations for my namesake. And then, verse 10, he said, Then many will be offended, will betray one another, and will hate one another. Uh, Within the church, this has to, I mean, he is speaking specifically to uh, the membership and at least to those who are a part of the nominal body, uh, nominal church. And then he said, many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. In a climate such as that, where there is hatred and where there is hostility one to another within the body, you have an environment that is ripe for false prophets to rise up and lead off and deceive many of the believers. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. Verse 14. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. Now, in our day, it's, it's become the fashion, I think, out there uh, in what we might refer to as the greater church of God, the scattered church uh, of God. It has become fashionable, uh, I think, among them to, uh, <clears throat> uh, to believe that... Uh, that uh, the gospel of the kingdom was preached, it was finished by Mr. Herbert Armstrong and the church uh, under his direction, as a result of which the love of many has already grown cold, and they no longer are enduring as a part of a viable work of God proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom to the world. Dropping down to verse 24. Matthew chapter 24, verse 24. He said, False Christs and false prophets will arise and show great signs and wonders so as to deceive, if possible, even the elect. Now all of this 
after Jesus Christ had preached the gospel of the kingdom of heaven, the gospel of the kingdom of God, many of those, thousands of those people in that area, by and through the work of the apostles and uh, the disciples and apostles of Jesus Christ, believed, and then later they were deceived by those false witnesses and false uh, teachers who came along. In Second Peter chapter 2, the Apostle Peter follows along with this <coughs> same understanding and same truth. Second Peter chapter 2 verse 1, <clears throat> But there were also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even to the point of, I would add, <clears throat> he says, even to denying the Lord who bought them and bring on themselves swift destruction. And, verse 2, many shall follow their pernicious or destructive ways, because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. Because these are individuals who are professing to be preaching the gospel of, the, of God, the gospel of the kingdom, the, the gospel of Jesus, or whatever it may be. But they will be, because of their being within the church or within the organization or within the, the nominal church, they will be more effective, more believable, than if they were outside. Verse 3, By covetousness, they will exploit you and with deceptive words. And so it, it is, it seems, driven by much, if not most, or if not all, of these endeavors are driven by either hatred on the first part or by covetousness on the second. There is money to be made from shearing sheep. And that's the way those individuals look at it. There is profit in religion. And there are individuals who would profit at the uh, expense of the work of, of God, the work of Jesus Christ, and, <clears throat> of course, of the, uh, the membership of that, that body. In 1 John chapter 4, <clears throat> beginning in verse 1, the Apostle John now, wrote, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Now we could say that the spirits he's speaking of here are the minds or the, uh, the, the persons of these false prophets. We could also understand that there are spirits that are in or motivating false prophets, couldn't we? Perhaps both uh, are very applicable. Many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this, you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And, of course, there are questions about the, that particular scripture, whether that's exactly translated as it was intended and written. Uh, but I think that we can understand that every spirit 
that denies that Jesus Christ was the Son of God, that Jesus Christ preached and proclaimed the gospel of the kingdom of God, and that that, that kingdom is coming to this earth. When He comes back to this earth, every spirit that confesses that has it right. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come or is coming in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. And John, by this time, it was, it was very visible, very clear. The apostasy had, had, was that full-blown already in the days of the apostle John. And so those who do not accept that Jesus Christ is living his life in the flesh of those who are true believers in, in him and on him, those spirits or those individuals influenced by those spirits are not of God. The Apostle Paul addressed the issue to the church of, of uh, uh, Galatia. Galatians chapter 1. <clears throat> Galatians chapter 1. Uh, we'll begin in, uh, in verse 6. Paul, the apostle to the church at Galatia, wrote, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another, but there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. Now, this, is, this makes you wonder. This had to be just a slight, maybe half bubble off plum in order to deceive those people. And the Apostle Paul is, is trying to help them to understand what they're saying has an element, I think, it has an element of truth in it. But as a result of the twist and the angle which they put on it, it is not, it is a perversion of the gospel of Christ. In other words, it is not a sin and it is not wrong to preach a gospel proclaiming that Jesus was the Christ. The Apostle Paul did it. But that was not the gospel of the kingdom of God. And so these slick operators were able to take the truth and slant and twist it and, and ultimately they got the focus of the the members of the church of God, off of the real purpose of our being called and prepared, which is to proclaim the gospel of the kingdom, the good news of the kingdom of God, and that we are to be a part of it by our preparation in this process, in this life. Now today, <clears throat> a false gospel is preached in every stream of Christianity. And I use the term stream of Christianity because I think we all understand that not all things labeled Christian are Christian. I, I, I mean, that is a given because there is so much controversy, there is so much conflict within Christianity. You ask, you know, I wonder how, how can people who, who proclaim, who believe that the church 
is the kingdom of God? How can those people, when they look at the history of Christianity, of one Christian murdering other Christians by the thousands, other Christians on the other side murdering those who had been persecuting them by the tens of thousands, how can that, that kingdom so divided among itself or within itself, how can that kingdom be the kingdom of heaven? Can't be. And how can a kingdom that is ruled by corrupt men who are so filthy and so corrupt as has been clearly portrayed very plainly portrayed in our time. How can that be the kingdom of Jesus Christ or the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God? Is the kingdom of Jesus Christ divided? Is the kingdom of Jesus Christ led by, fed by corrupt individuals? I don't think so. I, I know not. Jesus Christ <clears throat> taught the gospel of the kingdom of heaven, according to Matthew, the kingdom of God, according to Mark, Luke, and John. Jesus Christ came to reveal, to introduce, and to proclaim the gospel of the good news of the kingdom of God. But a false gospel was introduced by Satan the devil. And that false gospel was that Jesus brought the kingdom, established the kingdom on earth, and that he conveyed the keys or the power over that kingdom to Peter, who in turn then conveyed those keys to his successors in the person of a leading bishop at Rome, for the most part. Maybe from another part of the world, but at Rome. Now the Protestants have come along, and having protested and come out of her, particularly I'm referring to the older Protestant leadership, going all the way back to Martin Luther, perhaps less so, but perhaps more so to uh, certain of the other uh, Protestant uh, reformers like Calvin, Zwingli, and others. Protestants and the early evangelical leaders rejected the Roman rule over them and over the church because they saw the corruption. They understood there was not only political and literal corruption, but also there was perversion and corruption of the teachings from of the Scriptures. But they did not get back to the true gospel of the coming kingdom of God. Rather, they offered a gospel about the person of Christ. And this has become essentially the main focus of Protestant 
doctrine concerning the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. It is about the person of Christ. And, of course, they have many different ways of explaining it. They deny, at least many do, and if, if not most, as uh, one leading radio evangelist, and I think TV as well, uh, and many of them, not just one, <coughs> have, uh, have done, they deny that the gospel of the kingdom is even for us today. The gospel of the kingdom of heaven is not relevant to us today. Not just one, but a number of leading evangelical Protestant teachers have proclaimed. Rather, they are preaching a gospel of grace or a gospel of salvation. And then there are those who get a little bit way out and they preach a gospel of success, that is financial and social success. And then there are those, and I think this is perhaps the most common of all, the gospel that the kingdom of heaven is here now on earth and that the objective of Christianity is that the entire earth be infused with the kingdom of heaven, making this world a better place to live. I think we're all painfully aware of the current uh, state of affairs of our nation. We're involved in a war. Declaration of war has been made. The President of the United States asked the United States Congress to, to grant him the power to make war on Iraq. And most, I think, everyone, <clears throat> excuse me, I think most of the people who are in uh, or the evaluating these things, uh, I think they are uh, of the opinion that that war is going to definitely be fought. Uh, it'll become a hot war. And uh, that will probably be a very, very major conflict with serious consequences. I want to read a statement that was made by our president, the president of the United States, last January in the State of the Union message. It's just a little part of what he said. But here's what he said that was very significant and continues to be his his objective. Quote, Our objective is greater than eliminating threats and containing resentment. We seek a just and peaceful world beyond the war on terror. Do you understand where that concept and that idea stems from? That is in that man's innermost being from his religious training and background and probably from what is whispered in his ear, perhaps at night. That idea that the United States, the President of the United States, has the authority and or the power and and can set as the objective of this one single great powerful nation on earth 
the, the, the sole remaining great power on earth, single nation as a power, and that he can focus this nation and the efforts of this nation on making this a better world, bringing about peace. I don't know that he has gone as far as that can be taken in his own mind. But the thought is lying within there, at least in that statement. Now, there, that is not to say that there is not a serious problem. Uh, <clears throat> there's uh, the Insight magazine, the latest issue of U.S. News and World Report, had a special, actually, on uh, uh, Iraq and on the, uh, uh, the various um, uh, sites we know are active today. I think there are either two or three uh, known active nuclear development sites in Iraq. Our government knows them, knows where they are. We know where they are. And also, of course, they, they chart uh, in the U.S. News and World Report the, um, uh, <clears throat> the sites of uh, the various uh, gas and, and uh, uh, poison uh, plants and, and uh, uh, developmental um, sites that uh, they know of. Fifty, over 50 years ago, oh my, it uh, <clears throat> must be... Uh, Almost 60, not quite 60 now. <clears throat> General Douglas MacArthur made a, a statement. He said, and I quote, The most pressing issues are global issues. Issues that are so interlocked that to consider the problems of one sector oblivious to those of another is but to court disaster for the whole. While Asia is commonly referred to, he said, as the gateway to Europe, it is no less true that Europe is the gateway to Asia. And the broad influence of the one cannot fail to have its impact on the others. And then, I think it was Paul Wolfowitz who made the observation that Europe affects America. Asia affects America, and America affects both Europe and Asia. We are, we have become the focal point in the geopolitical struggle that is ongoing in the world today. We are like the modern Romans, and there are so many books and articles that have come out, I, I have collected them, where uh, writers and uh, political analysts have, have concluded that not only are we like the ancient Romans in, in, uh, politically and militarily, but we are like ancient Rome internally in our decadence and our internal problems. I think it was uh, the Guardian uh, newspaper from England that had an article, and I don't recall if this was Paul Johnson, but it was uh, a reliable, responsible journalist who likened 
he wrote a book on this subject, and then he wrote an article, and he likened the United States to modern Rome in so many ways. And, and he pointed out how not, not only do we have this moral decay and, and, and internal structural rot within that is so much like Rome, ancient Rome, the Roman Empire, but also now with the current ongoing uh, terrorism and, and the attacks from without as well as within by terrorists that we today are looking even more than two years ago like ancient Rome. Another comment that I will, <clears throat> and then I will conclude with these comments from uh, the current news and, and analysts. Latin America has has supported uh, the United States behind the scenes um, in in political um, struggles that we have had, and I won't bother with giving you all the the background on it because it, it gets very in, involved. But one analyst said this, <clears throat> the attitude of a Latin America today is, and the quote, they love our culture and freedom and they hate our power and dominance over them. As to the Arabs, he said, I am afraid that they have a hate hate attitude toward our culture and our power. They don't like our culture. They see the rot in our culture, and they hate our power and our arrogance and, of course, our interference as they see it. Now then, is the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God visible in what we have just been talking about? Where is it? Is it reflected in the thinking and in the plans and in the, the proposed actions of the United States? Is that the kingdom of heaven or the actions of Jesus Christ? Many uh, religions, prominent religions today, believe the kingdom is not a kingdom. <clears throat> That is, in the true sense, it is within you. Interpreted, of course, variously. Uh, some people say that uh, the kingdom of heaven is within believers, but it is not in non-believers. And others believe that it is within believers who are just like they are. Only, not those other believers, but just believers like I am a believer. And then there are others who believe that the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, is, quote, <clears throat> the God within all humans. And that's, a, that, that's an actual statement that is out there. So what is the truth? Since Satan introduced confusing doctrine about the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven, <clears throat> uh, most of those uh, ideas or doctrines, uh, the, the ideas and doctrines of religionists and the seminarians uh, were influenced by Satan, and I think we just reject those. 
We reject them out of hand. The only way that we can know what Jesus Christ taught when he taught the gospel of the kingdom of heaven or the gospel of the kingdom of God, the only way we can know what that gospel is is going to this word, the Bible. There is no other resource. Then there are those who question, yes, but what about those uh, Gospels that were not canonized? The Gospel of Thomas, uh, and, and, uh, you know, I've forgotten, but it seems like I recently read that there were 39 Gospels out there, that that, uh, at least fragments of uh, 39 Gospels that are out there that uh, some people would like us to include uh, so that we can have all this confusion mixed in with the, uh, the, the truth that is in the Bible. The canonized Bible, that is the Old Testament and the New Testament, is the only absolute source of truth. In John chapter 17, there was a confrontation. Now, <clears throat> I, I think we ought to understand something. Um, when an individual is faced with life, the threat to life and or death and an individual speaks the truth, and that truth is not the kind of word that is going to to bring reprieve, you can believe it, can't you? Do you understand what I mean? When Jesus Christ was before uh, Pilate, uh, Jesus Christ was being pressed to answer concerning the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of of God. John chapter 18, after Christ had been um, back and forth between uh, the Caiaphas and the Sanhedrin and then Pilate, Pilate first in verse 31, John 18, 31 said to them, You take him. And judge him according to your law. But the the Jews said to him, It is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. Meaning, we have judged him worthy of death, and you're the only one who can, can, can make that sentence and make it stick, legally or lawfully. That the saying of Jesus, verse 32, might be fulfilled, which he spoke, signifying by what death he would die, meaning by crucifixion as a common criminal with no rights. Absolutely no rights. Verse 33, Then Pilate entered the praetorium again, called Jesus and said to him, verse 33, Are you the king of the Jews? Because this was commonly being bandied around, about. It was... It was the word on the street that he was, quote, king of the Jews. And Jesus answered him, Are you speaking for yourself on this, or did others tell you about this, about me? And Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? I can hear that spat out because of the hostility and the resentment and the disdain the man no doubt had for the Jews. Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you to me. What have you done? 
Jesus answered, verse 36, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight, so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. And Pilate said to him, Are you a king then? And Jesus answered, You say, rightly implied, you say it, you said it, that I, you say that I am a king. For this cause I was born, and for this cause I have come into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. And then Pilate, who was a cynic, said, What is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again to the Jews and said, I find no fault in him at all. But you have a custom that I should release someone to you at the Passover. It's politically expedient. So uh, you do whatever you want to. Uh, do you want me to release the king of the Jews to you? And they all cried out, no, not this man, but Barabbas. And Barabbas was a robber. I mean, that's, that's the way it was. He, he was a robber, it says. Now then, <clears throat> Jesus, in the face of the man who had power of life and death over him, confessed that he came into this world to witness to the truth and that he was born to be king of kings king of the Jews. That's why he came into the world. You know, in Isaiah chapter uh, 7, the prophet Isaiah in chapter 7 prophesied concerning the birth of Christ. We need to uh, remember this as setting or as a uh, prelude to something that he wrote in the next chapter. In Isaiah chapter 7, <clears throat> um, verse 14, uh, just to breaking into a, a paragraph here or a thought. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold... A virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. And then more about who he is or would be. Okay, now all of the, the religious Jews in the days of Jesus knew the prophecies of Isaiah. They were expecting the Messiah. They were expecting him to come and restore the kingdom to Israel. But they did not understand the prophecy or the prophecies concerning his coming as the Lamb of God to offer himself as a sacrifice for the reconciliation of the nation and of ultimately the whole world. In chapter 8, <clears throat> going on, the prophet Isaiah was told to take a large scroll and to write and so on and so forth. And, and uh, 
dropping down to verse 11, Isaiah chapter 8, verse 11. For the Lord spoke thus to me with a strong hand and instructed me that I should not walk in the way of this people, saying. So Isaiah is saying, God very strongly, very powerfully, very plainly spoke to him and instructed him, directed him not to walk in the way of this people. He walked another walk. Isaiah walked a different walk from the nation of Israel. And we understand, of course, Isaiah was prophesying to the nation of Israel before Israel's destruction as a nation, as well as Judah's later. Here's what he said in verse 12. <clears throat> this is a, a, an exact quote as Isaiah gave, gave it. Do not say a conspiracy concerning all that this people call a conspiracy, nor be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. The Lord of hosts, him you shall hallow. Let him be your fear, and let him be your dread. He will be as a sanctuary, but a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense to both the houses of Israel, as a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And many among them shall stumble. They shall fall and be broken, be snared and taken. Verse 16, the key. Bind up the testimony. Seal the law among my disciples. And I will wait on the Lord who hides his face from the house of Jacob. And I will hope in him. Here am I and the children whom the Lord has given me. We are for signs and wonders in Israel from the Lord of hosts who dwells in Mount Zion. End of quote. This is, this is word as Isaiah conveyed it from Almighty God directly to him. Now understand, the disciples of Jesus understood, I, I believe they understood the prophecy later, ultimately after Christ's crucifixion. They understood the implicit implications of Isaiah's prophecy. Number one, Jacob would have a terrible time of trouble, and they did. We're talking about the first captivity, that is, the Assyrian captivity over the northern kingdom of Israel and, and of course, some punishment on Judah. And ultimately, the Babylonian captivity of Judah. And on it goes, down through the stream of time. The, the, the time is, is not just that punishment, the time of Jacob's trouble historically and anciently, which was a type of the end of the age, but the time of Jacob's trouble at the end of time as well. Now then, it was understood that Jesus would come by or through the birth process and be called Emmanuel. Now, Matthew chapter 1, verse 23 is... A, it, it, well, let's turn there. Matthew chapter 1, verse 23. in the Annunciation of the birth of Jesus Christ. <clears throat> Behold, it is written, and it's a quote, Behold, a virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. And then, of course, Joseph, who was the one who received this vision or dream, was aroused from his sleep, 
And he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took uh, Mary to him, him as his wife. But he did not know her till she had born, brought forth her firstborn son. And he called his name Jesus. And so the prophecy of Isaiah was pointing toward the birth of Jesus Christ without question. No, there's no doubt about it. He is God with us. And what about the part where he said, and he will seal up the prophecy. In Matthew chapter 5, when Jesus began to teach the multitudes, after he had, he had begun, verse, actually verse four, chapter 4, verse 17, from that time Jesus began to preach and say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, or has drawn near, as another translation has it. So Jesus was, was teaching. Now, it, is, it was understood uh, uh, as, as a tradition among the religious Jews, specifically the Pharisees, that repentance uh, was re- required for the nation of Israel to be reconciled and, and restored. They understood that. As a matter of fact, I, I forget where I've read this. I think it was in the uh, one of the Talmuds, uh, Talmudic statement that that when the nation of Israel would repent and all of them would repent, then Messiah could come or would come. And so every year, the Day of Atonement, from actually from trumpets, the day, the first day of the seventh month the Feast of Trumpets, from then until the tenth day on which was atonement, they went through this process and they were looking for and, and, and hoping for the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, during this period of time. And so this is, <clears throat> this is why what Jesus was saying to them was extremely relevant and, and it touched a chord in their psyche and their in their uh, consciences, and so we have in chapter five then the beginning of the teaching of Jesus Christ, and we see how Jesus Christ filled up or made full to the brim the uh, the law. It's it's very plain. It's all very very clear in Matthew chapter 5. And finally, if we just come down to verse 17, the specific verse, where he said, Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. Now, you've probably heard, as have I, the various explanations about that statement. And it's really you know, kind of amusing to me. <clears throat> First of all, he said, do not think, and the religionists do think. I mean, you can't get any more opposite than either to think or not think. And he said that I came, to, uh, I did not come to destroy the law. And they say, well, but <clears throat> yes, he did. And how did he destroy it? By filling it, by fulfilling it. Now then, we understand that 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 word that is translated fulfill can also or could also be translated as readily, as fairly, as accurately, fill up to the brim. 
Now, what did Isaiah prophesy? He would seal up the law in his disciples, with his disciples. The gospel of Jesus Christ, when he came, he taught the kingdom of God that is coming. And unlike the scribes and the Pharisees, who were expecting themselves to be ready, to be prepared to receive Messiah, so that the Messiah could usher in the and restore the kingdom to, to the nation of Israel in their time and their day, and I might add, according to their doctrine and ideas, religiously and otherwise. And Jesus was not about to introduce or to, to assume the kingship over that mess, that confusion, and that rottenness that was a, a part of the religious system in his day. As a matter of fact, if we go back a little bit, chapter 4, we read about the, uh, the temptation <clears throat> and in Matthew chapter 4, Satan uh, took him uh, up on an exceedingly high mountain, Matthew chapter 4, verse 8, and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And Jesus, or rather, he said to Jesus, All these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Now, could Satan, uh, could Satan have actually delivered on his, uh, on his promise? Of course he could. Not that he would, but I mean he could. Had Jesus obeyed him and worshipped him, he could have made him king over all the nations of the earth. Being the liar that he is, was and is, he would not have. But Jesus simply said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the eternal your God, and him only shall you serve. And then the devil left him. So Jesus Christ understood that he was to be king over the earth. Satan offered him a shortcut to that position by his definition, Satan's definition. And Jesus, of course, rejected it because the terms were not right. The gospel then that Jesus Christ preached following this temptation was that now the kingdom of God was coming. It is now beginning to be, the preparation for that kingdom is, is now here. It is now being made. Now, a kingdom has four fundamental elements you are all aware of. A king is necessary for a kingdom. A territory is a necessary component. And uh, a law or a law, a system of law, perhaps, or a judicial system is a third very critical component. And then finally, subjects. The kingdom of God, of course, the kingdom of that Jesus Christ proclaimed has all four elements. <clears throat> Number one, Jesus Christ 
is the king. Now, during the Feast of Tabernacles, we, uh, we I think in most every area, we read Zechariah chapter 9, verse 5. Zechariah chapter 9, verse 5. Sorry, I guess that's not, I, I think I, I'm sorry, it must be Zechariah chapter 14, of course, is, uh, verse 9 is is um, certainly, Behold, the day of the Lord, if we start in verse uh, 1 to get the uh, setting, uh, the coming, the day of the Lord is coming. So the time is coming when that kingdom is to be ushered in. And um, dropping down to verse uh, verse 9. And the Lord shall be king over all the earth. Zechariah 14, verse 9. In that day it shall be, the Lord is one and his name one. And of course this is uh, fulfilling uh, what is understood from the Mosaic uh, instruction in in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, or what was given to Moses concerning uh, the eternal God. Verse 16. And it shall come to pass that every one who is left of all the nations which came against Jerusalem shall go up from year to year to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. And it shall be that whichever of the families of the earth do not come up to Jerusalem to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, on them there uh, will be no rain. So there's, there will be, number one, a territory that is all the earth because Jesus Christ has the authority and the power over all of the earth. The sphere or the the realm of Jesus Christ's rule will be the entirety of the earth. Now, the, the, the thought of the Jewish mind in the days of Christ when he came was that he would restore the kingdom to Israel and their focus was primarily upon Israel. I think they were narrow-minded and narrow in their focus concerning the nature of the kingdom of, of God, the kingdom of heaven. The territory is the entire earth. And, of course, Jesus Christ <clears throat> is uh, going to institute or establish a judiciary. He himself is to become the, uh, the king uh, and, and the judge the chief judge in Luke chapter 23, Luke 23, verse 2, the whole multitude arose and led Christ to Pilate, and they began to accuse him, saying, We found this fellow perverting the nation and forbidding to pay taxes to Caesar, saying that he himself is Christ a king. The accusation against him was that he was saying that you are not to pay taxes to Caesar or to the state, which was a lie, and uh, that he himself is Christ, a king. And this, of course, led uh, to uh, the questioning that we read about earlier in Luke, uh, John 18, verse 17 and 18. It, it was very plain, very clear in the teaching and that, uh, of Jesus Christ, specifically to his disciples, that he was coming as a king. So there's no, no doubt about it. Revelation chapter 15. 
Revelation chapter 15, beginning in verse 3. The um, song that is going to be sung by angels in heaven. And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are your works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the saints. Who shall not fear you, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy, for all nations shall come and worship before you, for your judgments have been manifested. So we have clearly defined that Jesus Christ is king, that he is judge, and his judgments are made clear, made known. They are broadcast. They are, they are, um, uh, the people are informed. Educated, if you please. Chapter 17. Um, passing over <clears throat> the judgment to the great fallen church, the one that has muddied up the, the knowledge and, and uh, been used by Satan, I guess, rather, to, uh, to confuse and to deceive all of the nations. Verse 14, Revelation 17, verse 14. We read that uh, those who are opposed, uh, that are part of that system, will make war with the Lamb, and the Lamb will overcome them, for He is Lord of lords and King of kings, and those who are with Him are called, chosen, and faithful. Now, they are called, they are chosen, and they are found faithful. That is, they have endured and they have, after making the commitment, they have endured and been faithful in keeping that commitment. Verse 15, And he said to me, The waters which you saw, where the harlot sits, are peoples, multitudes, nations, and tongues. Now, <clears throat> what, what this is speaking of is human beings, peoples, nations, multitudes, and different languages or of with different languages this is very clearly not in heaven it is very clearly that that jesus christ is going to reign and rule that the realm he is going to reign and rule over is on this earth over physical people physical nations and so the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of god by the teaching, by the proclamation of Jesus Christ, is the government of God over the earth under the rule of Jesus Christ. Revelation chapter 20. <clears throat> Revelation chapter 20. Actually, we ought to read chapter 19 because specifically verse 16. Revelation 19 verse 16. Uh, actually, back in verse uh, 6 and 7, uh, it's, I mean, the, the, whole, the whole record is filled with references to the coming uh, reign of Jesus Christ and the joy that will pertain when, when He has become King of kings and Lord of lords, oh, actually ruling over this earth. Verse 6 of chapter 19. 
Hallelujah, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife has made herself ready. And in verse 16, And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Chapter 20, verse 4, And I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was committed to them. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God, who had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received the mark on their foreheads or on their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. The millennial reign of Jesus Christ over physical human beings on this earth. And that is going to be over the entire earth, not just over uh, the nation of of, uh, Judah or the nation of Israel or nations. Now then... In summary, uh, Jesus came to proclaim the gospel of the kingdom of of heaven. Matthew's wording. Gospel of the kingdom of God. Mark's wording. uh, and, And John's wording. And Luke's wording. Jesus commissioned his disciples to proclaim that gospel. And he, and they did it. Jesus commissioned his apostles after his resurrection, to continue his work. That is, the proclamation of the gospel of the kingdom of God. And a part of that commission was to feed my sheep. And the feeding of those sheep is an extension and a continuation of that work of proclaiming the gospel. That is, to care for those who respond to nurture and to feed those who respond to the preaching or proclamation of the gospel of the kingdom of God. If they are to be brought into that kingdom, if they are to be prepared to rule, to reign with him as kings or priests or priest kings or whatever it may be in that kingdom, they must be nurtured, they must grow And it requires attention. And it requires devotion. It requires love, compassion. Now, Jesus commissioned the church to proclaim the same gospel that he proclaimed in Matthew chapter 28, verse 19. We all know that the, the commission that he gave the church. Jesus Christ after his resurrection, was in authority. There's no question about that. Now, some of those who proclaim the kingdom was within you, the kingdom came when he established it, he set it up on the earth when he came, it became, the, the church was that kingdom, and so on. Those people who preach such nonsense will, will challenge you and say, well, are you saying that Jesus did not qualify? Are you saying that Jesus was not... Uh, in authority, but he was in authority. He had triumphed over Satan. He had qualified for that position of rulership. That is not the question. You know, the, there is a problem, and, and there is a, a, I guess, a kind of a rule we have to avoid, and that is allowing the enemy... To, uh, to, to form 
the, uh, the question to allow the enemy to state the case and if, if then we, we follow and we flow according to what, how the enemy uh, frames the question, we're falling into a trap. <clears throat> Anyone who has been deposed by an attorney knows exactly what I'm talking about. Let's go over to chapter 1 of the book of Acts. Acts chapter 1. <clears throat> Again, this is, uh, understand, we understand, written by Luke. The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach. That's uh, his record to uh, Theophilus, the, the book of uh, Gospel of Luke. Until the day in which he was taken up, after he, through the Holy Spirit, had, been given, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during forty days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Now, while he was here, when he began his ministry, he was proclaiming the gospel, the good news of the kingdom of God. After he died, after he was resurrected, he further continued further to expound and explain to his disciples who were to carry that message, that gospel, onto the world concerning things concerning or pertaining to the kingdom of God. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which, he said, you have heard from me. <coughs> for John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Verse 6, Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, <coughs> Lord, Will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? The burning question. They had asked him while he was living, while he was proclaiming the kingdom of God, and they were arguing and quibbling and, and among themselves, striving for position, striving to, to try to get up to be closest to him in the kingdom. And... Uh, of course, he had to rebuke them for their competitiveness. And here they were, still with that carnal attitude. Lord, are you going to, at this time, restore the kingdom to Israel? I, I mean, it's a natural question they, they would ask at this point. I mean, after all, he was resurrected from the dead. Now, surely he had qualified. He, he, was, he had the power. He had the authority, they thought. And his answer. It is not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has not has put rather in his own authority. <clears throat> I take it from that scripture that when Jesus earlier had said, when asked, that he did not know the day or the hour, that he still is saying the Father is the one who will decide the specific day and hour. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, and in all Judea, and Samaria, and to the end of 
the earth. Now, it can be taken two ways. It can mean geographically the entire earth, or it can be down through the stream of time to the end of this age. Probably both. Probably both. Now, when he had spoken these things, Luke wrote, while they watched, he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, angels actually, who said, uh, who also said, <clears throat> verse 11, Man of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. He will return. He will come back. And then, of course, he will bring that kingdom. My words. The disciples, as were others, were concerned about when and how and where Jesus was going to establish his kingdom. It's a mirror almost of, uh, of what the Pharisees asked in Luke 17, verse 20 through 37, where they were challenging Jesus, and uh, they were expecting the kingdom of God then, clearly, in Luke chapter 17, verse 20 through 37. Actually, let's turn back to that. I think that <clears throat> this one, uh, this text is, is, uh, is really good to, uh, for us to look at and think about, because... You know, we we all we are anxious. We we all want to want His kingdom to come, and we are we'd just love to see it to be yesterday. I guess. Oh no, no. I guess not yesterday because then things wouldn't be right today, would they? I mean, our being here. Uh, rather, we'd certainly like it to be soon. Luke chapter seventeen. Now, when he was asked by the Pharisees, plural, when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them and said, The kingdom of God does not come with observation, nor will they say, See here or see there, for indeed the kingdom of God is within you. And, of course, this is one of the texts that is so often quoted. Say, Oh, you see, the kingdom of heaven came, and Jesus said, It's within your hearts, brethren. It's just right in within you. That's what he said. That's what he told the folks when he was here on earth. Of course, that's not what he said. Uh, not, I mean, they have not taken it accurately and, and restated it that when they say that. It is in your midst. Why was it in their midst? Well, we understand. It was because he, as the king, was right there in their midst. Then his, he said to his disciples, The days will come... When you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. Hard times. <clears throat> Jesus understood, and, and he was warning his disciples that uh, between here and there, you're going to uh, wish many times for the good old days when the Messiah was here, and we could we could talk to him and get direction and draw strength from him. And they'll say to you, look here or look there, do not go after them or follow them. For as the lightning that flashes out of one part under heaven shines to the other part under heaven, so also the Son of Man 
will be in his day when he returns. It's not going to be something that's done in a corner. It won't be real secret. Guarantee you, everybody is going to know about it. But first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. <clears throat> Verse 30, just passing on, dropping down. Even so it will be, like in the days of Lot and Sodom and Gomorrah, uh, it, even so it will be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. It's going to be a time when sodomy is going to be rampant. It's going to be a time when there is so much rot and so much filth in society on this earth that uh, it will be an awful day of judgment upon humanity. In that day, he who is on the housetop and his goods are in the house, let him not come down to take them away. And likewise, the one who is in the field, let him not turn back. You remember Lot's wife. Flee! Whoever seeks to save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life will preserve it. In other words, if the focus is on self, if the focus is on saving one's own skin, then unfortunately the focus is misdirected and the result is not going to be satisfactory. I tell you, in that night there will be two in one bed, the one will be taken, the other left. Two women grinding, one taken, the other left. Two men in the field, one taken, the other left. Verse 37, they answered and said to him, now they are the Pharisees. That's what we read in verse 20. That's where this all started. And they answered and said, where, Lord? Where are they going to be taken? And he said to them, wherever the body is, there the eagles will be gathered together. The body or the corpse. Where the corpse is, that's where the buzzards come. There are certain things that attract other things, is what he is saying. And the kingdom of God is going to be where those who are part of that kingdom, those who are worthy of that kingdom, are going to be. The, the, the dividing and the, 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 uh, the sorting out is going to occur. He's just been talking about a sorting out. And they didn't understand. They didn't get it. When the Son of Man comes in His glory, then <clears throat> that is when there is going to be a sorting out. The kingdom of God, when Jesus Christ returns and establishes that kingdom upon this earth, is going to be a momentous occasion. Jesus came to proclaim the gospel, the good news of that coming kingdom which would bring about peace on earth, which would usher in a time when, when humanity could direct and devote his full resources to the necessities of life. That is, food, clothing, shelter, and giving, sharing, and helping one another instead of making war and fighting. <clears throat> There's a story that someone sent me the other day I really appreciated, and I'll close sharing it with you. It's entitled The Atheist. It's very short. A young lady came home from a date rather sad. 
She told her mother, Jeff proposed to me an hour ago. Her mother said, well, then why are you so sad? Well, because he told me he was an atheist, Mom. He doesn't even believe there's a hell. And the mother replied, marry him anyway. Between the two of us, we'll show him how wrong he is. (laughs) 